0: Hello church, Uh, my name is Jordan and I am the children's ministry director here at Bethany North. I'm going to start by telling you a story that many of the students who are present in this room will have already heard this story because it's a favorite of mine to tell. Uh, And I'm with the kids all the time, so they're the ones who get my stories. (laughs) Uh, But I want to tell you about the time in middle school when I broke my arm flying a kite. I purposely put it that way, you can laugh, it's supposed to be funny. Uh, <laughs> so here's what happened. My, uh, it was a couple of weeks before school was starting. I was in a summer orchestra thing through school uh, and my mom had already gone to work with my younger siblings and my dad was going to drop me off at the school for our practice on his way to work. Uh, we get there and there is no one at the school. It turns out that my orchestra teacher was sick with the flu and had canceled, and we had somehow missed that memo. Uh, so my dad did not have enough time to take me back home. So instead, he had to take me to my mom's work. Now, here's the thing. At the time, my mom worked at a gym in their like, kids' center, uh, hanging out with kids while parents were working out. And they had an age limit of kids up to 12 and i was 13. Uh, i did not want to be there but my dad didn't have time to take me home it would have been way out of the way and my mom's work happened to be on the way to his work so i got dropped off i'm there with my mom and all my younger siblings and i am beyond annoyed luckily my mom only had a couple hours left of her shift, so i wasn't there fuming for too long but like did not want to be there and my mom was doing a craft with some of the kids where they were making these kites, paper kites. And my brother ended up making one. And so when it was time to leave on the drive home, he spent the entire drive home asking me to help him fly his kite. Uh, like, the entire drive. And I told him no multiple times. I didn't want to. I was still upset that I had to even be in the kids' club because I wasn't a kid anymore uh, but he would not relent. And so I finally said yes. And so when we got home, uh, we went down to... We, our house was between two cul-de-sacs. And so we went down to one of those cul-de-sacs. And I started running with the kite. And apparently, I was running fast enough that it looked like it was flying. And he really excitedly was like, Jordan, Jordan, you have to look. Look at the kite. And so I turned. I'm like running backwards with this paper kite, right? In the middle of the street. Just as I get even with a house a few doors down from us that was pretty notorious, like, party house. We saw lots of people come and go, living in that house. There was always a lot of loud music, a lot of, like, drinking in the front yard, and I tripped over an empty beer bottle. And so I'm, like, running backwards, I trip, I'm falling. My instinct is to turn to catch myself, which generally is a good instinct, but it did not happen fast enough, and so instead, my wrist slammed into the curb on my way down. And that's how I broke my arm. See, I tell the kite story to be funny because it's it's just really funny to laugh at. Like, that's such a silly thing. It makes more sense when I tell the story, but it's such a silly thing to think that someone could break their arm flying a kite. Like, that's not generally something you think of. But I also share that story with you this morning because it parallels the parable about the widow pretty nicely. Because here's the truth, none of this story would have happened if my brother wasn't so persistent with me, which is exactly what happens with the judge in this parable, what he thinks about the widow. She's annoyingly persistent. But before we dive any further, let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your church here at Bethany North, Uh, both those in the room and those joining us online. Jesus, thank you for your parables that... These stories are ones that we can turn over again and again and find a new way of seeing you and a new way of seeing the world every time we engage. And so, God, we ask that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, getting back to the widow and the judge. Verse 1 from this reads that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Well, there goes my sermon. Like, that's the point, right? I don't, I don't really have anything else to add. But here's the thing. We can always find more than one meaning from a parable. Uh, and it's always going to impact our lives in a different way when we engage it. And so that's one of the readings of the parable. And that's the first one we're going to talk about. Because persistence in prayer is only part of what this parable about, is about. It is certainly the point when we think about the parable from the widow's point of view. Because, let's be honest, this widow had a pretty rough life. She already begins with a disadvantage in the story, just by being a widow. To begin with, to be a widow meant that her husband was dead. She also likely didn't have anyone who was providing for her. And the society wasn't one where she could really provide for herself either. And... So there's a reason that the Bible's common refrain of vulnerable populations is widows, orphans, and foreigners. See, not only was she holding all the trauma and disadvantages that come with being a widow, but verse 3 tells us that she went to this judge multiple times asking for help against her adversary. And we don't know who this adversary is, but we can imagine that she has already tried everything else. She has exhausted every other avenue. This judge is her last hope. And so she can't give up no matter how many times the judge says no. Her persistence is all that she has left. And as you know, I'm in charge of children's ministry here. And when I think about persistence, I think about kids. <laughs> um And I've actually spent my whole life working with kids, not just here, but I've been serving in children's ministry since I was in middle school. Uh, I'm the oldest of six kids. You can kind of say I was raised to be good with kids. And kids are the first thing I think about when I think about persistence, especially when you think about the question why. Once kids learn the question why, persistence doesn't end. (laughs) And I'm sure most of you in this room know that from experience. (laughs) Um, And You know, it makes sense that the widow and kids have this common trait of persistence. Because when you don't have as much agency as the people around you do, persistence, persistence is the currency you use to make sure that your agency is heard. And so you see that a lot with this widow. You see that a lot with working with kids. But one of the things I've noticed that there isn't persistence when it comes to kids is when it comes to prayer, unless, of course, you count their persistence that it needs to be me or another adult who does the prayer. They don't ever want to pray. And it's interesting, because if I'm honest with you, I don't think it's just kids who are hesitant to pray. I'm sure that there are plenty of us who feel hesitant and uncertain about prayer at some point in our lives, maybe even this morning, And I think the reason that's true is because it's so easy to make prayer so much more complicated than it needs to be. Like, you have to make sure you do these 87 steps exactly correctly, or you've failed at prayer, or it just becomes another task on our to do list, or it's because we see prayer as the same way that we see making a wish list just into Santa Claus. Um, But the truth is that prayer is so much more simple and so much more costly than we make it out to be. Prayer is so much more simple because what prayer is at its heart is relationship with God. See, it's about having a conversation with God. It's not one-sided. It's about relationship. It is a back and forth between you and God. It involves active participation from both you and and the Holy Spirit. And if that still feels like too much, Jesus taught us how to pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. He started by saying, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, there's so much community within this prayer and in the history of the Lord's Prayer. After all, this prayer has been prayed by millions of people over thousands of years. You are not alone when you pray the Lord's Prayer. And so prayer connects us relationally with God, but it also connects us relationally with each other. Prayer is simple, because it's like sitting down to coffee with your best friend to catch up. But prayer is also so costly. Because prayer is about relationship— and relationship with God changes us. If you look at the Lord's Prayer again, Jesus said, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's not something that you can ask for unless your heart has been aligned with God's heart, unless your desires have become aligned with God's desires. Prayer with God is costly because having a relationship with God is costly because it changes everything about us. It changes our hearts, and that changes our lives. Because when our hearts are changed, our lives are changed too. And if prayer prayer truly brings about changed hearts and lives, then it's important that we take another look at this parable, because it's not the widow whose heart was changed in this story. You see, the most common interpretation of this parable is to put ourselves in the role of the widow, and to put God as the judge, encouraging us to be persistent in our prayers to see justice come. But what if the roles are reversed? What if instead we see ourselves in the role of the judge? How does that change how we read and respond to this parable? Well, if we think of the story about how I broke my arm flying the kite, it's pretty easy to put my brother in the role of the widow and myself in the role of the judge. I did not have to listen to my brother to help him with his kite. He would have been mad at me, but I probably would not have ended up with a broken arm that day. Uh, In fact, much like our judge, who originally told the widow no, I originally told my brother no. And it was only through his persistence that my no changed to a yes. And here's the thing. I have a much better relationship with my brother than it sounds like this judge does with this widow. But the judge, just like I did in the kite story, has a lot of agency in this parable. Verses 4 to 5 say that for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she will not eventually come and attack me. See, the judge spent a good amount of time saying no before he said yes. And he only said yes for some pretty selfish reasons. But the beautiful thing about seeing ourselves as the the judge in this parable is that it means that we have agency and get to choose how we respond to the widow. Which then brings us to the widow. If we're the judge in this story, who's the widow? Well, again, there's more than one answer. (laughs) And we're gonna talk about a couple of them. The first is seeing God as the widow which makes a lot of sense if we think about it. The Old Testament describes over and over again God's heart for justice and righteousness. In fact, I took a year-long class in seminary on the Old Testament, and we spent almost an entire semester talking about God's heart for justice and righteousness. It is all over the Old Testament, and once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. Like It is core to God's heart. And here's how deeply God cares about justice and righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 to 24 tells us, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And see, that's just a single passage. Like I said, you can look all over the Bible to find God's heart for justice and righteousness everywhere. You can look in the Psalms, you can look in Isaiah, you can look in Genesis, like almost any book of the Old Testament, you can find it. And here's the thing, if God cares so deeply about these things, Then, those of us who claim to know and love God should care deeply about these things too. We'll be people committed to justice and righteousness the way that God is committed to justice and righteousness. So, seeing God as the widow gives us the opportunity for our hearts to be aligned with God's heart, just like prayer gives us the opportunity for our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. But we can also see the widow as someone who is marginalized like the widow actually is in this parable. But there are many more people than just widows who are marginalized in societies. They include the Bible's list of widows, orphans, and foreigners, but marginalization includes so much more than that, too. It's any person or people group who is marginalized in their society, whether it's because of race, gender, sexuality, education, socioeconomic status, geography, Religion, displacement, disability, and there are so many others that we can name. Jesus cared for and spent so much time with people on the margins. We see over and over again religious leaders of his time getting mad um, that he was doing that and not understanding. So many people took issue with Jesus' heart for those on the margins. So when Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 what well, the greatest commandment was. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus wasn't just saying that. He lived it. Ultimately, what we're called to as Jesus followers is to love God and to love others. To be people of prayer so that our hearts are aligned with God's heart so that it moves us to justice, to love the people around us the way that God wants us to love those around us. In fact, it is so important that in John 13, Jesus told his disciples that the world will know that we follow him because of the way we love one another. That should be the primary marker of how we are known in the world, is the way that we love one another. Friends, we should be out in the margins because God is out in the margins. That is what the life of faith is, that our hearts are day by day becoming more like God's heart, that prayer changes our hearts and moves us towards a life of justice because God loves people, and we should too. So... While it's good for us to spend time talking about things like prayer and justice, I think it's even more important that we live it out. Um, Because it's foundational to God's heart, and it's foundational to our own faith journeys. And so I don't want to spend my whole time up here uh, just telling you it. I want us to practice it together as a community. So I'm going to invite the band back up um, as I'm getting ready to lead a guided prayer meditation together. Uh, it is from this book, A Rhythm of Prayer. It's edited by Sarah Bessie. It's a collection of prayers that are written by women uh, in all walks of life who are in ministry, and it has been such a beautiful resource to have for me in my own prayer life. Um, so I'll just—I know that this is a little bit unusual for what we normally do, but I want to invite you to participate as well as you are able. Um, if it makes you comfortable, you can close your eyes, get settled in your body. I'm going to be doing some reading and then leaving some time, space for you to respond in your own hearts and thoughts, and then I'll kind of go back and forth a little bit uh, before I close us. So find some place comfortable, relax, breathe deeply, in through your nose, out through your mouth. If it's helpful, you can use a mantra to calm your thoughts as you breathe. Breathe in, the holy is here, breathe out, present with me. Breathe in, the holy is here, breathe out, present with me. Close your eyes. Picture yourself sitting in a place, real or imaginary, that gives you joy. Notice your surroundings. What are you sitting on? Do you smell anything? What do you hear, taste, see, feel? As you sit in that place of joy, I want you to meditate on Habakkuk 2:20. Uh, you can use this verse as a mantra and rhythm with your breaths. Breathe in. The Lord is in His holy temple. Breathe out. Let all the earth be silent before Him. after you've focused on this verse for a while let your mind's eye view the earth as the temple of god don't rush give yourself time to look at the surroundings imagine others around the world also being silent in the presence of god feel their camaraderie that they also are following the spirit of love linger and observe what happens if anything give god space to speak if he wants Now imagine God comes and sits or hovers nearby. Where is he in relation to you? How does it feel? In this space, pray whatever comes to mind. Ask questions, make petitions, sit in awe, get angry. If you want, make space for God to converse with you. Or don't. Imagine that there is a low table in front of you, filled with candles. What does it look like? Pick up a box of matches and light a candle for each burden that is weighing on your mind. Ask God to turn his face towards the lights. God may have something to say about one or two of the candles, or perhaps you sit in silence together. Feel God's love and enjoyment of you. Invite the spirit to continue filling and empowering you as you move ahead in your day or week. As you're ready, take a couple more deep breaths and you can open your eyes and come back to the room. The first time I did this guided meditation, when I got to the table, I had a lot of candles to light. Somewhere for me, but most were injustices in the world. Um, And when I turned to see God's response to the candles I was lighting, God was lighting candles too. In fact, God lit more candles than I did. Prayer and justice matter to our faith because they matter to God. God's heart is for justice and God's heart is for us friends. Prayer creates space in our hearts to align with God's heart. And because of that, prayer is where we start. But if it's where we stop, then it's, we've missed the point. So as we continue in worship, I want to invite all of us to start with prayer this morning. So I want to encourage you to come forward and pray with a prayer team member. Uh, the prayer team is here to listen to what the Lord is doing in your heart uh, and agree with you in prayer and listen for what the Spirit is saying. So although it may be scary to walk forward for prayer, know that you are loved and cared for by this team. And so we invite you to come forward when you're ready and respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. So come, friends, let us continue in worship together.